Question. Answer. Do you want to join my Christian Minecraft server? No. Why not? It's so much fun. Do you want to hear about my Christian Minecraft server? I have a feeling I don't have a say in this. I'm going to talk about my Christian <laughs> Minecraft server. <laughs> so, so we're all coming up with, um, you know, creative ways to come up with ministry and stuff. And for example, my, my, my youth minister, Pat, he's been doing um, Bible studies via Twitch. And as even uh, Life Teen is doing this thing where they kind of have online uh, sessions and then you can kind of meet with your own group online and so everyone's doing these things but one of the ideas some of the youth ministers in my diocese came up with that i love so very much is that they have started a minecraft server hmm. and it's super safe like they they own all the equipment and everything so like the records of everything they can pull at any moment so it's all safe environment friendly mm -hmm. all that jazz wonderful uh and yeah there's like three different youth groups right now who are involved on it and uh as you, as people do know, I do enjoy video games, and one of the ones I enjoyed in seminary was Minecraft. Mm. So I have, I have built my little Minecraft house. I am, I am, and I can, I can play Minecraft and pretend that it's a ministry, which is secretly, I think that's what the youth ministers are doing as well. But it's good, it's good because you know the teens are hanging out with um, normal people. For example, one of the uh, youth ministers, um, uh, you know, relatively newly married. And they have a little baby, so like as we're on a Discord chatting and playing Minecraft, you hear the baby in the background. Mm -hmm. It's something good, Catholic right. family about that. You know, I think it's good for the teens, and uh, it's fun. So if you ever want to know, if you ever want to join, I'll help you out. I'll teach you the ways, and you can join my Christian <laughs> Minecraft server. I, they would get a thrill out of it. I think some of them are, are listeners too. Oh, cool. I, I Minecraft is just one of those things that just it, it seemed it just I don't know it's just never attracted me because it seems very labor intensive. It is sometimes work, but um, were you a Lego person? I'm building an Apollo 13 spacecraft as we speak. I have found that Lego people transition well to Minecraft if they allow themselves to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you never know. You never know. Uh, but that's kind of the appeal to me. It's like it's nice because I play a lot of video games where you shoot people mm -hmm. or you slay people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's nice just to build things. And yes, I can kill monsters in Minecraft as well. Right. But the joy I get is from building my nice little house, my little farm, build my little church, make it nice and pretty. It's something deeply satisfying have, about it. Have you, had, have you had Minecraft Mass? I have not had my, so I don't like role play in Minecraft. That's where I personally draw the line. So I have not had Minecraft Mass. If I put a little box where there's a piece of bread in it from the game mm -hmm. where the tabernacle should be, yes. But if, if you have haven't mass, had, but if you haven't had mass on Minecraft, it's just bread. It's not the Eucharist. It's true. It's true <laughs> because it turns out, Father Harrison. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, I know you're 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 studying stuff, but you can't actually have Catholic mass via Minecraft. That would be both illicit and invalid. What if? What if? Okay. What if people just put bread and wine in front of their screens when they're watching live stream mass? Um, here's the thing. You know, actually, I've been bringing this up. You, you joke, but I've been bringing this up because the big question right now is like, okay, how can we get more confessions going on, right? And so people ask the question, can you hear confession via phone? And the answer, the short answer is no, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I tell people like, okay, it might feel weird for you that like you can't do that. Because some people think you're just, just kind of like without a lot of study or whatever, it's fine. It's I think it's a normal thought to have, hey, the priest can hear my sins. I can hear the priest's prayers. Why doesn't that work? Well, you would find it weird if you held up your phone or your iPhone or your iPad to a piece of bread and I, on the other side of the internet, said the words of consecration. You wouldn't think that the consecration worked, right? 
And the answer is usually, if the person's not crazy, no. Right. I think that's the best way of being able to explain how you need to have a, have a, to, well, a not, personal like distance. There also has to be intention. Right. In the priest's consecration. And the priest um, has to see what he intends. So if it's not in front of him. Well, yeah, but even that, you don't want to go too far. Because have I seen every tiny host that's in that baton? It's in physical proximity. And you're saying, like, right. usually I have, like, I say a little prayer at the con- before consecration. I say, I intend to consecrate everything that's on the altar. Same, same. I think actually Which, one of my professors said, make a general intention right now that you plan to consecrate whatever's on your corporal. Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. Which know? is why I kind of, like, especially, like, with these weekday masses, I always put the wine in beforehand, before even mass starts, into the chalice, yeah. because I don't like having the cruet of wine on the altar. Because I don't want to It access- just feels weird, yeah. Because I'm like, I don't want to, like... I know I, I know intention is important here, but it also feels like, what if, I mean, the Holy Spirit's pretty powerful at the epiclesis, man. I mean, like, he could just be like, <laughs> you don't want to do splash damage with your you consecration. just had your hands here, but over there, too, you got some precious blood, you know? So. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, it's not really that know. way, folks. I mean, come on, but it's just, it is, it is a little weird to have, like, this crude of wine on the altar as you are celebrating the Mass. And the thing is, like, yes, God knows, God understands what's going on, yeah. but we also have an important role to play. We are we are ordained for this, and we need to take it seriously. So sometimes your brain does get into crazy thoughts like that, and if you can do something to let the crazy thoughts go away so you can more prayerfully focus on mass, yep. I think that's a good thing. Exactly. So Christian Minecraft server, good. Trying to do the sacraments through technology, not so good. Right. Amen. Welcome to Clerically Speaking. speaking I'm of, Father Anthony. Speaking of technology, I'm Father Harrison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, So... I'm in. I'm getting slowly into minor freakout mode. Yeah, but not, come on in. The water's fine. But it has nothing to do with the moment we're in. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what do you freak out? What is there to freak out about? I don't what think I've fun? mentioned on the podcast yet. I, I've got a. I got another book deal. Wait, how many books are you writing right now? Two. Okay. Okay. Two. Yeah. Yeah. That's still a lot of books. But go ahead. One, what's the what's, one? What are you one doing? is due in. Just under six weeks. Woo-hoo-hoo. So uh, I'm writing a book for Pauline Press on the sacramental worldview. Um, oh, delicious. Yeah. So stuff, stuff obviously we've talked about on this podcast a lot. And uh, and, uh, and it's great. And I mean, it's been a little bit of a last minute thing, in, in how it all came together. But uh, I was encouraged to say, like, I was encouraged that, yeah, this is something I could possibly do. And I, and I can write fast. Like I can put stuff on a page, but it's. I'm starting to really start to learn. Wait, writing a book is a lot different than writing like a paper. Yeah, you can, I imagine you have to structure stuff out a lot more. You have to do outlines. Like I'm not good at outlines, so I'm learning. <laughs> You're just I'm, like okay, I mean this is due. But I also, type away. but I also know this is how I learn the best is when I'm in that moment of pressure and I mm. feel like the world's gonna crumble around me and I want to just stick my head in the sand. Like it's been amazing how how much when I'm writing, I just start browsing other stuff on the internet because. I don't want to have to deal with the reality that I still have, you know, about another half a book to write in six weeks. <laughs> right, which is why you should join my Christian Minecraft server. That's exactly why I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyways, but no, it's, it's going. It'll. It'll. I know it'll come together because I can write fast. Um, I could probably. I mean, and, and because I do have a bit more free time, it does free me up to spend more time with writing. But. You know, so that's it's fun, and it, it it should come out next year. But it's yeah, it's due on April thirty first. So we'll see how that goes. But then uh, on top of that, <laughs> uh, I had a I had a meeting with my doctoral supervisor yesterday. 
on Wednesday uh-huh. morning. And we're just meeting and chatting and we're talking about how things are going for the year. And I mentioned the ups and downs, you know, it, it is, it, it's true. This is, it's, it's been a real adjustment for me to learn. I have to schedule out study time every day. And also for me personally, as a pastor to not feel guilty that that's been scheduled. Right. And it, and at the beginning it was very easy to put that off to later in the evening. And then you're just too tired to study or anything like that. Um, and they said, no, that's actually pretty normal in the first year people, but then they're like, but what we do want by the time, by the end of May, is we want a, a very detailed table of contents. Hmm. I'm like, okay. And I wasn't quite expecting that. <laughs> so I have a book to finish. And a very, like, probably about a four-page table of contents uh, to set up for my doctoral thesis in the next five and a half weeks. Okay. But I've never, I've never written... A doctoral thesis, uh-huh. but I imagine as long as you write something that, like, it's like when you had to write your annotated bibliography, right? You can change that by the time you write the well, paper. Well, this is the thing, and I, 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 that's where I'm trying to to not freak out about it. It's like, as you just say, as you're researching, you're like, wait, this changed, or I have to go about this differently. I need to take this section out, and I need to put this section in, right? I think they're just doing it just to make sure you have some sense of guideline about, like, okay, I need this is what because I am starting to you see. I, I abhor structure. Mm-hmm. I hate it with a passion, mm-hmm. but I'm learning in this time how much it's a good thing in life. It's actually super important. It's actually I mean, it's not forced upon you. It's it's incredibly important. And it's very freeing. Um, yeah. So I like I started to see. Wait, if I have a table of contents, like for that section, I'll have a better understanding of what I need to read to get the research done for that section. I don't because right now it's just been kind of I've been like a a vapor in the wind just picking up books at random and just so it'll focus my reading and my research more too. So I know why it's important, but I'm like, I got a lot of work for the next uh, five and a half weeks here. So for those who are listening, if you want to throw up a prayer that, that, that would be appreciated. Um, it, it will get done. I didn't know it'll get done. And I've got lots of friends and stuff who are helping. I was just texting with one friend before we started recording about outlining and uh, for the book. And, and because this is where I'm like really learning the importance of outlining and it's really helpful. Like it, I, I think I will become, become a better writer because of all this. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. That's what's going on in my life. Good. Okay. Let's let's do Summa Tria Logica. Let's do it. Summa Tria Logica. Summa Tria Logica. Summa Tria Logica. The Summa Theologica was Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is the much more famous summary of things that Father Anthony and Father Harrison found interesting on Twitter. And first up, just because I just got out of several of these, this is from Knight of Majin, a, and she says, I'm going to hate Zoom by the time this all ends. Yeah. Now, I have mixed feelings. I have mixed feelings, you know. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, so I've done a bunch of Zoom meetings, and at first I was like, you know, there's no way I can do spiritual direction via Zoom. But 
I've had a few sessions with my directees, and it's gone surprisingly well. I was like, oh, this is okay. Okay, this is kind of nice. And then I have a bunch of boring meetings because, I mean, if you're a human being and you're a part of a society, you have boring meetings. I'm like, oh, I hate Zoom. But then my pre-small group had their Zoom meeting small group. And at first I thought, oh, this is going to be miserable. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. But then it was actually really nice. And we were still able to have good conversation. And it was nice to see people's faces. So how I feel about Zoom, I go back and forth depending on the meeting. And then finally, we have these big diocesan meetings. And for me, I live out you know, an hour uh, and some change away from where we have these meetings normally. Now, I can just log on to my computer, and I, it cuts out two hours of travel time, which is time I can spend now on what? You guessed it, my Christian Minecraft server. So I go back and forth whether or not I like Zoom. People may not know this. He's actually playing Minecraft as we record. Yes. Well, it was really tempting, but I stopped. I was working in my basement, and I stopped. I was like, you know what? We need to focus. The structure is good, Father Harrison. I yeah I I well here's the thing with Zoom meetings. I'm trying to figure out how to say this charitably. <clears throat> there are people who don't know how to use it. Okay, can we teach the people? Because I think this is important. Here, number one rule with Zoom: after you've logged in and you said hi, mute your mic. Mute your mic. Mute it. Just just turn it off. Just 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 we don't need to hear you yelling at your kids in the background, or we don't need to hear you pick up the phone to talk to your mom while you're in a meeting. Or like if you got a big bag of Doritos, we don't need to hear that or, either. Or, this is the best one today. I had a Zoom meeting today. And two <laughs> of the people were in the same room. One had the Zoom meeting on an iPad. The other one had it on their computer. And neither of them turned off their mute mic. So the echo. So there's an echo. It just started. And it just kept on going. And they didn't notice what was going on. And I'm just like, dear Lord Jesus, please come again. See, people don't know. They don't please know. Come again, Lord we Jesus. have to forgive them. We have to forgive them. <laughs> we because have, they we listen have to, us. to forgive them. <laughs> have to forgive them. They don't um, know. <laughs> they don't know. Uh, it, it, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so we have to forgive them, though, because it's very important. Because they listen to us, and they're like, oh, this must be easy. You know, I hear Father ha Anthony and Father Harrison speaking through microphones, and it sounds great. The only reason we sound great is because Nick fix all, fixes background noise. You've got very fancy mics and stuff. For you on your laptop, it'll work, but it's going to pick up weird sounds. It's going to pick up, like, the humming of even, like, something, maybe, like, your uh, your AC if that's on. Yeah, or the so garbage crowd coming by to pick up the garbage. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will I will offer this as, a, as another tip. If it's a meeting of more than five people, I say... Turn off your video. Yes. Turn off your video. Because then it gives you the excuse to do other work while the meeting's going on. Right. So definitely <laughs> it makes you more productive. But also, like, you know, it's it's hard to, like, when someone's in front of you and they're, and they're talking, you know, you can make eye contact and stuff. But no one does that in a Zoom meeting. So mm -hmm. everyone's looking off to the side. It just looks like you're being rude, even if you're being attentive. So if it's more than five people, just just turn off your video. You don't You don't need it. Can I make a quick aside since we mentioned him? Can we give kudos to producer Nick for the best bumper ever? Oh my goodness, we have to. We have so to. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode with Bishop Umbers, Nick made a we we were we expected Nick to make you know a hey there's a bishop on the show, uh, bumper, <laughs> but that's not what he did. What did he do, Father Harrison? Words can't describe. <laughs> it was. 
it was just it was the perfect coming together of everything Episcopal and Australian all in one. If you were to take all of Australia uh-huh. and all of Nick's personality and and squish it into audio format, that's what that bumper was. It was pure. It was beautiful. And thank was and thank God that Bishop Umbers is Bishop Umbers. <laughs> right, we could not do that with another bishop. <laughs> Thanks for being cool, yeah. Bishop Umbers. We really appreciate it. Yeah, so that was really great, Nick. So thank you. And it was nice because we had no idea what he was going to do. So it was a nice little surprise to hear it. And then he was very excited, though. He was very excited when he texted us the audio. Rightly file. so, and rightfully so. It was pretty amazing. All right, uh, this is from Father Ryan Higdon at Father Higdon. Okay, real priest talk. I love the Easter collects, the opening prayers for the mass. There's a step above. But does anyone else get tongue-tied or stumble over them? Maybe it's just me in the morning, brother priests of Twitter. And he's he's right. Like they're beautiful prayers. Like there's there's a lot of theology. Like, and it's really cool because like a homily can be either on the text of the day or on the op- or on the collects, the prayers of the mass, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I'm like, man, I want to just preach on this collect here because there's just a lot being said here, right? But they're a they can be a jumbled mess sometimes grammatically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's, there's different there's different there's different kinds of language that are going on in the liturgy. And I mean that in a very basic way. Like um the letters of Saint Paul aren't written in the same way as the gospels. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I've gotten good at proclaiming the gospels <clears throat> and you kind of get a feel for how they're written. So it's easier for me to read those out loud off you know on the fly. It's much more harder for me to read one of the uh, first readings from the Old Testament. I have to focus more. And same thing with the colics. Like, you kind of get used to a flow of them. And he, But yeah, the Easter ones. And just like, I don't know grammar words anymore. Don't worry, I'm an English major. I, but I don't know any of the grammar stuff. And it's, it's if you don't read it beforehand, it will mm-hmm. make no sense. Yeah, like just the way the commas are split. And it, it, sometimes it's a run-on sentence, essentially, right? Like, it's where there should be a period. And like we should almost be going into another sentence. It's not there. Um, so it is, it is, it's true. And it, and as a priest, it has to remind you slow down when you're doing the colics. Cause I like to talk fast Yeah, yeah. and, uh, it's always a lesson, especially with the longer it is, which, and it's funny. Cause like, actually I remember today. So I pray my breviary during adoration before mass and the collects translations and the breviaries are not the new translations. They're right. the old translations <laughs> I'm reading. I'm like, Wow, that's a really short collect. It was like something really short. It was like yeah. two sentences or two phrases, and that's it. And then I get, I say opening prayer, and I was like, whoa, this is a really long collect. <laughs> I was just like, at first it shows you like how the original translation really didn't do justice to the Latin, because these are meant to be right. more literal translations of the Latin. But I was just like, well, this is this is a tough one to speak, and you do have to read it sometimes because it's like, whoa. And if you read the wrong way, the theology gets all screwed up. Exactly. Like this morning I was reading, or I was reading either, it might have been a preface or something. It was something along the lines of like, uh, washed, uh, made free, washed in the blood of Christ. But I read it almost wrong, like freed from the blood of Christ. Like, no, I'm not freed from it. I'm freed by it. These are very different things. Like, so if you don't say it the right way, you commit big time heresy. And here's the thing, folks, priests, we will, we will mess up the prayer sometimes. And it's just the way it is. And it's okay. It does happen. Thankfully... Uh, the sacraments happen by the work worked and not because of our own stupidity sometimes. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. What do you got? Oh, speaking of liturgy, how about a hot take? This is from Rich Raho, at Rich Raho. And uh, it's an image of someone uh, celebrating Ad Orientum. Yep. 
And he tweets, celebrating a live streamed mass at Orientum and Diocesan Cathedral with mass parts sung in Latin seems far removed and insensitive to those, quote unquote, participating and do not know Latin. So, a few things, a few things. If, I, yes, yes, we, we are going to, we're going to talk about this. But <laughs> I will say, if your people have never experienced at Orientum, and then you didn't like teach them, and they tune into Mass for the first time and see at Orientum and Mass parts, they've never. I can understand how that could be confusing at first. Sure, that I think is a fair critique. But I think this goes a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. I just actually I just read because um, I oh I've been reading books, Father Harrison. What kind Not of books? Not just parts of books. I read um, Cardinal Sarah and Benedict's book. Which I'm still waiting for my thing. copy to come in, by the way. So it's I, we, life, we're definitely going to talk about the, it. Yes, we will, because I'm just, I'm just waiting. Fo- folks, the books are slow right now. It's the first book I've read in forever from beginning to end, and not just uh-huh. a part of it. But anyway, I jumped back into Spirit of the Liturgy, which I've never read the whole thing, and uh, read the section about how Benedict talks about Ad Orientum. And once again, it's driving me crazy that I can't celebrate this way. But anyway, you've been sighing. How about you go for it? I I feel like this account or this tweet it's got to be like a it's got to be a, like it can't be real. <laughs> it's definitely real. I know it's tons I of know. people have this opinion. Tons of people have this opinion. Not not I mean yeah, I know, but okay. But here's the thing. First, read Sacrosanctum Concilium. Right. Right. Sacrosanctum Concilium says that Latin is part of place in the liturgy and ought to have a place in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. You notice he only said with parts of the Mass were sung in Latin. Not not the whole Mass was said in Latin. Right. Uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium says the native language and Latin should both be part of the liturgy. That sounds like they were doing it. Ad, we've talked about before the loss of ad orientum um, was a strange aberration, and I think it'll slowly come back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, knowing Latin thing, I get that to an extent. That's why like, I haven't celebrated the extraordinary form because I don't know Latin very well, and I want to actually know what I'm saying mm-hmm. when I'm praying it. So I get that to an extent, but I like Ratzinger's point too that Latin is kind of like the iconostasis of our of the Roman liturgy, where it 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 helps us see like a, a bit, it, it brings about a bit of mystery to, to, um, to the mass that is important because you do not comprehend. You cannot comprehend everything that's going on here. It's impossible. Right. Like it, the mass is a mystery. It is a mystery and we, and it needs to be, and these are ways to help form us in that sense. Finally, the, the whole thing about participating. Okay. I know he's putting it in quotes because he's, he's at home, but you're already participating by virtue of the fact of your baptism. Mm-hmm. That is the mode and means by which your participation happens. It's not this activism, but it's actually something, actually participation, I would argue, is actually a lot more passive than we've, we, we look at it in a pragmatic Americanistic sense of like, I got to do things 
or I need to be attentive and I need to watch and it's my job right. to internalize every word that's said. No, you are already fully lifted up into every single mass that's being offered in the world by virtue of the baptism because the whole church is present and lifted up in the gift and the sacrifice of the Eucharist because what's offered up Christ's body and the whole body of the church is lifted up with that. So like, I just, this is why it's like, I feel like this, this it's like a meme almost because I'm like, it's just, it just seems to me, I don't know. It just seems to me obvious that this is well, all bupkis. And just to make it like concrete, so for some of the solemnities, <clears throat> like we don't have a music minister. The chants that I can do are ones that have been stuck into my brain because of a seminary. Mm-hmm. So for some of the you know, feast days and for Easter and stuff, I would do instead of the holy, 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 the sanctus, sanctus. Now, I'm, I just think that most people, when it comes to holy, 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 and then they hear sanctus, they don't think, what's going on? I can't participate. They go, oh, that's probably Latin. Neat. That's how most people experience a little bit of Latin. Like, oh, yeah. that must be Latin. That's kind of neat. And so I think it's just people making it a big deal because it means so many political things to people instead of just something, hey, this is a part of our faith and our tradition too. How about a little taste? Oh, that was neat. That was different. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's how most normal, chill, cool people react to a sprinkling of Latin, right? We And we just need to learn to chill about all this stuff a lot more. Very true. Just chill. Folks. But that being said, you and I are not chill about these things. No, I'm just in the I'm, opposite way. <laughs> it's, it was more like I'm I'm not chill about people lacking chill. If that makes well said, well said. Um, all right, let's see here. I got okay. Yeah, this is great. This is. This is Twitter in a nutshell. This went quite viral on Twitter. Oh, it did? It's yeah, really good. I like yeah. it. From Leah Lewis at Liz for Leah. Me. I love pastry. Person on Twitter. I see that you like pastry, and that's fine. But I al- but also, I wondered if you ever knew that pastry was responsible for a murder in 1977 when someone set up a, set a sausage roll on fire, which caused a fatality. So you're basically condoning murder. Here's a link. And I'm like... <laughs> It's beautiful. It's a piece of art. This is this is mm-hmm. this this tweet is art. Cause it perfectly encapsulates Twitter and the whataboutism that is always at play there. You didn't think about this, or you're pretty much condoning this because you said it. It's like I'm doing neither of those things. Um and it also it's a bit of a play on the really weird accounts where you get the really weird replies sometimes. And you're just yeah. like, what the heck is this all about? And it's like, like weird conspiracy theory stuff. And and I just, the tweet is just exquisite. It's exquisite. It's one of the best tweets I've yes. ever read. Yes. So I think I think here's here's a deep dark secret that we all have to admit to ourselves. We all like to think we're good people, but we're not. We all like to think that like I don't like drama. No, you love drama. You love it so much. Some of us just give in to that temptation more often than others. And Twitter is a great place to do that. So your life's falling apart because guess what? You're living, and if you're living, it's most likely your life is falling apart, or at least it will next week, okay? Mm -hmm. This is the human condition. But at the very least, you can go on Twitter and be right about something. And that gives you a semblance of control and superiority and understanding. Mm -hmm. So someone says they love pastry, you can just go off on that and feel good about yourself for two seconds before you go back into your existential despair. This is 
a large part about what Twitter and social media is. So we have to resist those temptations mm -hmm. and just be cool and normal and chill online and share fun stories and fun jokes and maybe talk a little bit about something serious every once in a while yeah. with charity. And then social media can be a wonderful place. And stop whataboutism. Yeah. Please, please, please stop it because it doesn't do anyone any good. Well, it's like, how about how, some... Okay, what, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. I need to I'll I need say, that rant. I'll give you some whataboutism that you do like. What about the Saints? Sounds good. It's time for Presbyteral Exhortations. <laughs> and now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the oh, best part. Oh, yes, yes, quite. Yes, quite. Right. So, <laughs> that was so dumb. So I just want to say quickly that it is. It's, yeah. The reason we often hesitate when we say presbyteral exhortations is it's A, not a common phrase that will just roll off someone's tongue. And also, it, it's... Uh, it, yeah, it's it's just it's a hard it's actually a hard phrase it's, to say. It's legitimately a terrible title for a segment. It's just a bad title for a segment, which is in which that's where its beauty lies. Yes. is because it's so bad and so clunky and ridiculous. Because that plays into kind of this clunky, ridiculous clericalism shtick that we have so much fun with. Exactly. So yes, it's it's we shoot ourselves in the foot every time we go into it, but that's that's part of the beauty and the joy Amen. of the podcast. Amen. Uh, okay, um, so if you are a person uh, who is alive and listening to this, you probably found that, hey, my spiritual life is a lot more difficult because a lot of things I used to rely on, they're no longer here. And my whole life has been turned upside down. And okay, I want to do some spiritual things. Well, your favorite priests, Father Harrison and Father Anthony, we feel the same way in a lot of ways, and we've had to readjust as well. But uh, we were talking before about how Something that's helped us both is kind of reflecting on the lives of the saints, yeah. which is something I probably couldn't say, I don't know, eight years ago. Because eight years ago, I, whenever I heard a story about the saint, any saint, it would just make me angry. Because every story I heard about saints would be like, oh, saint so-and-so was walking around and found a church and then was struck by lightning and then never sinned again. And by the way, memorized the entire Bible. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How the heck can I relate to this guy? In fact, I don't even like this guy. This guy is too holy for me. Now, I think there's something that's <laughs> that's actually not good about that. Like, we should rejoice in the holiness of others. But, you know, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're bad people. Yeah. But I think the more you dive into the lives of the saints, one, you find saints that are more relatable. But also, you can more and more rejoice in the goodness of other saints as you grow in the spiritual life. Is that fair? I think so, yeah. And I think it's important that <clears throat> what the, what I think is helpful just in general in reading the lives of the saints or finding documentaries on them or whatever it is, is that it challenges you in a non-judgmental fashion, you see, because so often we are our own worst critics and we mistake our mm. own voice for the voice of God. Oh, yeah. You lazy jerk. How dare you? not go and pray for five hours a day or um you know you're not gonna get to heaven because you keep on doing this or whatever it is right like we just keep on judging ourselves and we confuse that judgment with god's voice and we think this is what god thinks of me 
But when you see the saints, you feel a judgment. Absolutely, you feel a judgment. But it's not a judgment to condemnation. It's a judgment to, I need to do better. I need to better myself with God's grace to become more saint-like, like this person is. And so they, it's an inspiration that, like I find generally, the saints are a great actual inspiration. Like they really challenge us and make us desirous to want to actually become saints. Because if we don't, like, and, and what I've been trying to do lately is just try to read some sort of life of a saint or watch a documentary on one or whatever, because the inspiration will come and go, but it kind of continuously challenges me and keeps me on the right track to seek holiness. Because we all hear that phrase, like universal call to holiness, right? Like, oh yes, I'm called to be a saint. But it's easy to forget. <laughs> it's actually very, yeah. it's very easy to forget. Um, it's, and so you need these inspirations to challenge you to something more. And because at the heart of it, you see that this is a person who is loved and has been, who loves God and has been loved by God. And you want what they have. And though in our youthfulness, we often will try and do exactly what that saint did because we are crazy and immature. Um, over time, we'll see, okay, I'm not, I'm not that saint, but I want to seek God with the same passion and vigor that they did. And so that's what's going to inspire me to listen to God's voice in my life, to do what is necessary to be a saint in my life that's going to look different because every saint i mean the beauty is that every saint looks different so i think it's it's very helpful it, it, it's often one of the quickest ways to destroy any like acedia that's going on in the heart or any lack of inspiration or any um lack of desire to become a saint it it that all gets dissip, that all dissipates very quickly when you read and encounter the saints yeah and i think what i'm glad you touched on that how sometimes in our in our zeal we want to become holy right now, and so we want to imitate exactly what the saints did. And oftentimes, that's kind of a a, a, a sneaky kind of form of trying to save yourself mm -hmm. and a, a kind of pride and a lack of humility. So, like, because very often we have those thoughts, like, you know what? I'm going to pray the Psalms underneath a freezing waterfall like mm -hmm. uh, St. Francis did, mm -hmm. and that will make me holy. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, first you should pray 15 minutes a day because you're not even doing that. Exactly. Like, let, like, and it's important to, like, let go of these kind of, of these heroic aspirations because God wants you to do the ordinary thing with love first. And then maybe he'll call you to do something else. Or maybe he won't, you know? Yeah. Maybe he just wants you to live out your holiness in a simpler way. And wouldn't it be refreshing to hear more stories like that? You know, so it's you don't want to try to take control of your own salvation by holding on to what the saints did and imitating exactly. And on the other hand, also, because I remember at times being discouraged because a lot of my teachers would poo poo what the saints did. And we don't want to do that either. What they right. did was was indeed like inspiring and heroic. But just like, you know, um, without getting too much into it, there was that big Michael Jordan um, uh, autobiography special that was on. I heard about this. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't watched it either because I don't do anything with sports. I play Minecraft. Mm -hmm. But it was a thing. So, like, you shouldn't beat yourself up because you're not Michael Jordan and you like basketball, but you can be inspired by a work ethic. Mm -hmm. And that can help you better yourself. You don't have to be Michael Jordan to better yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, and one more little thing, too, because especially with the modern saints, we start to learn um, not just about their gifts. We also learn about their faults. And we can easily use that as, an, as a way to excuse ourselves of our own faults. Yes. <laughs> we got to be careful about that too, right? Like I, I remember uh, reading something about John Paul II about how he never showed up to anything on time ever. 
mm-hmm. um, when he was a younger priest. And I thought, oh, well, that might be, you know, I, and I thought, and that thought came to my mind, oh, well, that I could just be like John Paul II and not show up on time. It's yeah. like, no, I can't. Go straight to heaven. That's not Never show up on time, go straight to heaven. No, just I can't like do John that. Paul no, no, I can't do that. That's not saintly, right? Um, so, you know, there's all these little crevices we have to be careful of that we can easily fall into as we look into the lives of the saints. My favorite one is St. Jerome. Because like, oh, St. Jerome, he was mean. So if I be mean, then I'll be a saint. Well, settle down. Like, you have to do all the holy stuff he did, and then maybe we'll start talking about your crankiness. Exactly. Like, come on. Exactly. Like, let's, you know, get over yourself. Yeah, cool. So um, one of the things we were talking about, then maybe to help with this a little bit, is not just, you know, I, I think this is generally just the good advice about why we should read the lives of the saints, but like maybe sharing a bit of our own favorite saints and stuff that's mm-hmm. inspired us and why that's inspired us. Um, do you want me to start off with one, or do you want to go? Uh, how about you go? Because you've been talking about this, um, uh, this, this, this media type priest <laughs> who you like, yes, who people like. Talk about him. So, um, about a month ago, so I've been I've been slowly learning more about the Pauline charism for a variety of reasons, and um, and uh, reading about reading books by Blessed James Alberioni, who is the founder of the whole Pauline community, which they have like a zillion different branches of life. It's they, every state of life, they've got you covered. They've got, they have different orders of nuns. Like they don't just have one order of nuns. They have like different orders. Yeah. Right. So, um, but what was very inspiring for me, and this wasn't a book, surprisingly, uh, sister Helena Burns, good friend. Uh, she helped direct, um, a documentary on blessed James Alberione. And so uh, when that came out, I thought, oh, do what? I got some free time. I'm going to watch that. Um, and, and, it, and it was it was really, really well done. And what was beautiful to me was, uh, I mean, A, where it was inspiring was first, he and I, I think, I, I saw in him the, not the optimism, but the hope one can see through new media which is something I absolutely uh, hold on to. Um, but also the dedication to prayer and apostolate. Um, what was very inspiring to me was how much he prayed. They said that there were times where he would pray up to six hours a day. And he had this Oof. total trust in God that whatever that took away from the work, God would multiply the work, the, the effects of the work, because of the time of he gave to God in prayer and he loved like the, like he, he, like he, he wrote well, but like, he's not like some groundbreaking theologian who made new theological insights or anything like that. But he had this holiness and zeal to spread the gospel through every new means necessary saying that this is, we have to transform this medium to become a place where holiness can be found and where the gospel can be proclaimed. And he says, and this is something St. Paul, he says, would absolutely take advantage of. But for me, like the, the real inspiration was the amount of time he spent in prayer. And it started to build up in me a desire to want to pray more. Mm-hmm. Now that goes up and that goes down. Um, right. <laughs> and it should, this is actually should also show you like one of the, this is one of the interesting experiences I've actually been reflecting a bit on is how easily we give into the moment of inspiration and think, this is a good and holy thing, but the second the the little flame to uh, withers out, 
Right. Or as soon as like a little bit of a breeze starts to make the flame flicker just a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. That's (laughs) when you get, yeah, it goes poof. Right. But, um, to say, okay, well, it it shows actually showed me. It's like reason I can't pray the amount that he does is because I got to work on a lot of things. and I got to repent of a lot of things in my heart that I may not even be aware of yet. Right. So, um, which is a good thing. Like, that's a good thing. So I, but I found it really inspiring to say like, you can be a, a saintly priest. He went through a lot of difficulties too. He wasn't perfect. Like they did a good job at mentioning those things, but um, it, it also gave you a clear understanding of the charism of the whole community. And I just felt it really inspiring. And I wanted it, and I shared it with a bunch of people. I shared it on Twitter. You can find it on YouTube. Um, I think it's called Media Apostle, is or Apostle to the Media. I think one of those two. Um, you can find it on there. It's worth the watch. And um, but it was really inspiring to me and it's now put in me a desire to start working on my prayer life even more than I was before. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the big ones for me uh, is Teresa of Avila. Uh, So when I was in minor seminary, I started just gobbling up um, kind of some of the spiritual classics and it probably wasn't a good idea because I was reading them all and I hadn't, didn't have like a good teacher to kind of show me the way as I was reading them or explain what the spirituality came out of and what does it mean and blah, blah, blah. Um, and one of the ones I read was, uh, at least most of it, was Interior Castle uh, by Teresa of Avila. And actually, it, you have to watch out when you grab saint books because I had accidentally grabbed one that was uh, an abridged version written by some like um, uh, New Age mystic uh. who kind of took out a lot of the Catholic stuff. <laughs> I had no idea. Oops. I had no idea. And then when I finally came across like a, a, a real copy, I was like, oh, wow, she's way more intense in the Catholic than I thought. So. Anyway. anyway um, and the, the gist of the book is like, you know, by your baptism, the Holy Spirit has been set up in your soul. Yeah. And your soul, your soul is a beautiful creation by God. It's gorgeous. It's like this castle. And because of the Holy Spirit, God is, you know, deep within your soul. And so he's the, the, the deepest part of the mansion of the castle of your soul. And the light that comes out from him enlightens all these different rooms in your soul. And you can go to these different rooms and experience different kinds of prayer. So that's that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. So it's um, this kind of like we find God by going into our interior because that's where God is. Uh, so it's, it's really nice. I just like the imagery from it. But like once you get into some of the higher castles and mansions, she starts talking about phenomena and prayer. Well, I'm like, I I can't I can't even understand what she's saying. Like this is way out of my league, just way out of my league. Like you know, most stuff beyond four is out of most people's leagues. I think. Right. You know? um, and I was like, ah, I don't know about her. But then I started hearing all these like stories about her, uh, or little little um, pieces of advice about her, about how she really didn't experience any kind of mystical prayer until she was past the age of forty. Right. That for like, uh, I forget, it's like over a dozen years, uh, she could only pray by reading spiritual books. Mm-hmm. So doing spiritual reading. That's all she could do. She couldn't meditate. She was just incapable of it. And hearing that, I was like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. Or like one of her advice to nuns, if a nun was in chapel and this nun was like passing out all the time and claiming to have mystical visions and just causing a ruckus because of her mystical visions, she would tell that nun to to have less time in prayer, more food, and more work. Because you're working yourself into these things. They're not genuine things. I was like, oh, is this really neat and practical? Mm-hmm. So I kept hearing all these anecdotes about, about her and uh, started reading uh, more and more of her, of her autobiography. And just to kind of see her struggle with things and how patient God was with her and how she emphasizes that, you know, 
Prayer is just making yourself available to God, and then God does the rest. Mm -hmm. It's not this, like, I don't need to, like, try to forge my way into all these really cool castles of my soul. Like, no, you just make yourself available, and then God will take you where he wants to take you. And no matter where he takes you, it'll be a good thing. And, like, so that really changed my perspective on prayer and what's my role in it and how does that work. Um, And I just kind of liked more and more aspects of her personality. So that, that was both, she's both inspiring and comforting to me in her humanity and in her holiness. And it, it's interesting what you said there too. I think it, it, cause that brings out another point about the lives of the saints. Cause often we want to, we want to read them to figure out what's the five step secret to becoming a saint. Yeah. Right. What are the it's five like things? Seven story uh, mansion. Yeah. Like, Oh, seven steps. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, but no, no. And, and what I, this is actually one of the interesting phenomenon I've really encountered whenever I read the lives of the saints is the hiddenness of some of the, the elements of their life. And how we net like like one of the most frustrating things to me ever in reading the lives of the saints is reading about Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. because the time of her like where she's going through her purifying stage of 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 her life, she doesn't give us a word into. She doesn't give us anything. She doesn't gives she gives us no insight. We have stuff a little bit from her early life, we ha- and we have stuff from after. Her, we have a ton of stuff from after her like mystical encounters with Jesus, but in the in between. There's like nothing, and she refused to talk about it, and it always frustrated me. Yeah, <laughs> but I realized that, and I think there's two reasons for this. First, it's a to counteract this idea that I can put the whole I can put holiness into a box where I can figure out how I get from one part of the box to the other through these different steps. Because I mean, let's be honest that that goes through our heads, heads a lot. I'm going to read this saint, and it's going to give me the key insight to how to be a saint myself. But there's a second reason. God works differently with different individuals because there's many indiv- mm-hmm. there's many members to the one body and each has a different mission, right? Like Saint Teresa Lisieux, I am. Uh, she recognized that she couldn't that she wanted to be the heart. Right. That has a particular mission and a particular purpose in the life of the church, and that's God working in her to draw her into that. So we can see it's almost like veiled images of what holiness looks like and even veiled images of a little guide to how it works. But, and it kind of gets to your point too, that really though, holiness in the lives of the saints. And the reason I think they don't give you a whole lot into what was going on in their life prior to these big moments is like you said, with St. Teresa of Avila, you have to just be available and let God do the rest. Mm-hmm. And we don't like hearing that. <laughs> No, we hate hearing that. We want to figure out the system, right? But the more I ponder this, the more I pray over this, the more I think that's the that's right. You, you have to be receptive and just wait. Yeah, well, because we can, and this is this is weird to kind of wrap your mind around, but like we can turn prayer into a kind of idol that we pray for the sake of prayer. That prayer becomes kind of like a video game. That if I do these things, I will level up, and all of a sudden, prayer has nothing to do with God. And prayer is supposed to have everything to do with God. It's about, you know, your relationship with him, about you falling deeper in love with him, uh, you more and more accepting his love, and then from that you can love everyone else around you more. Like That's what it's about. And so there can be a temptation to, like we said, like to uh, to get the seven-step program, to get mm-hmm. super prayer, and then you can be super holy, and it all seems divorced from God. And that's God will not let that happen. Right. <laughs> he will take away consolations. He will steer you in the right direction. Um, oh, but you also made me think of something else I was going to say. Oh, and also, sometimes your spiritual insight that was really beautiful, sometimes it's just for you. Yeah. And that's it. 
Like this is this will be a te- this was a, uh, more of a temptation before when I had my big Twitter account, uh, but still it'll pop up. Like you're praying and you get this big insight, and then your first thought is, I should post this online. No, you shouldn't. It wasn't for online. It was for you. Like God was talking to you and saying loving words to you. Why do you want to post that online? Can't it be like really beautiful and intimate and <laughs> part of your relationship? Like does it have to all be about your internet clout? No. No. Don't do that. Exactly. And so in the same way, like. Yeah, there's going to be these silent moments where the saints won't explain certain things because that was just between them. And it would be wrong to take something so precious and just splurt it out all over there. You don't want to do that. And I think, and part of this, like, and it just gets into the whole topic around prayer in general is you have, um, part of what the saints had to go through was a process of purification. Like, I do think you get the sense of the general pattern of what holiness looks like, Right. I, a, I give my life over to Jesus, um, which usually, as we know, it's usually filled with a lot of flowery, beautiful stuff. And we're like all on fire. And then we go and then there's purification, which for most of us is the rest of life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, purification. And then um, and then um, uh, oh, there's a, you have like um, conversion, purification and like like that, the intimate um, union with God that. The great, yeah. great contemplatives and stuff have like those are your kind of three categories generally, right? Um, God, so you see that through the saints, and I think that's a general pattern you tend to see. So it's important to remember that that's what God's doing. So when you're like sitting in prayer and you're getting restless, like I, I mean, like I'll be honest, like the last couple of weeks in my holy hour, my prayer has sucked. It's been horrible. <laughs> And I've even sometimes like there's been once or twice I've walked to the sacristy quickly to check my phone because I keep my phone in there so I don't have the temptation to check it while I'm in prayer. But I'm like, but I'm not mad about that because what God is doing in all this is he's showing me my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's purifying. And that's what he does in the saints. You're showing up. You're being available even if you're not totally into it. But that's precisely where God's going to start really doing the work to show you. Actually... Party doesn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Party just wants to go sit in front of your computer and watch YouTube for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to show you that because I love you. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does for the saints. And he does that for us too. And so we shouldn't like beat ourselves up when this stuff's happening. We repent of it. We bring it to confession. We can get to confession and stuff like that. But like we, and then it's about growing in this acceptance. This is where my heart's at. And am I willing to let go of this? That's what goes on in the lives of the saints all the time. And so we need to stop beating ourselves up about these things and just saying, I'm available. And that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, another saint that's big for me uh, is St. Louis de Montfort. I was super, super, super into True Devotion to Mary in minor seminary. Um, it's still a part of my life, not as much as it was before, but I'm reading more and more about St. Louis and just how crazy he was. Like he ran around in this dirty old cassock. He had read every book about Mary. Uh, he would um, put on these crazy retreats and have like these big long processions. These like uh, almost human rosaries. It would be a procession. Everyone would have like a bead, and it'd be like these big displays of piety. And they sounded so cool. But I remember one specific one where uh, one of the things he would do is like, oh, all of the dirty books. And dirty magazines in 17th century France or whatever uh, in this little town. We're going to throw them all on the ground in a big pile. And then we're going to set it on fire. That's what we're going to (laughs) do. And, you know, we're going to build a Calvary out of it and put the cross on there. And then we're going to set the whole thing on fire, right? And uh, he would get the towns to do this. Well, as you can imagine, this would freak some people out. 
And some people told the bishop, like, hey, this priest is doing this thing, and he's not putting a cross up there. He's putting an idol up there. This is a weird idol-worshiping thing that St. Louis is doing. They didn't call him St. Yeah. Louis. And so he was doing this thing, and then he got a, a letter from the bishop, like the, like the day of this big thing, and the bishop said, you're not allowed to do this. And what did St. Louis do? Did he rip up the letter and say, we're doing it anyway. I don't care what my bishop says. No, he simply says, well, then we must build a Calvary in our hearts. Yeah. And he just moves yeah. on. <laughs> he just moves yeah. on. Like his whole big thing, this whole big show, this beautiful display of like throwing away our sinful lives, all as he had planned. Bishop says no. And he goes, okay, we're going to have to do it in our hearts. Yeah, then. exactly. I yeah, that. I love that too. Um, for me too, I'd say like my ultimate favorite saint, uh, St. Augustine. And I've read the confessions a few times and uh, I'm actually really excited because I'm starting to see how much I'm going to have to read, um, how much I'm going to have to read more Augustine for my doctoral work, which is very exciting because... Yeah, if you're going to do Benedict, you're going to have to yeah, do yeah. Augustine, I imagine. So, <laughs> but for me, because part of it was always, Augustine's got a very desirous heart and desire is a big part of his whole shtick. And, and a bit about his conversion stuff, like not obviously not living the exact same life that he did and everything like that, but um, there was something to his whole conversion that just always stuck with me. And he was just one of those first guys I kind of read and found inspiring. Plus, because it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just the, um, uh, it wasn't just the conversion stuff. It was like the intellectual seriousness, but the deep love he had for God, like, praise for god is flowing like he's asking god for his grace to help him write this book like it's amazing and it's beautiful yeah. and um so saint augustine's always always inspiring for me to read and um and he's always he's my homeboy saint augustine's my homeboy beautiful um uh we're wrapping up so just a few other ones that are that are big for me is um i, I we've talked to him about one of our early podcasts was on uh discernment of spirits but ignatius of Loyola. Yep. I love the story of his life. I love his spirituality. Um, I think he's underrated as a mystic of the church. Um, St. Joseph, even though, and that's this is a weird one. St. Joseph has always been uh, just an intuition for me. Like, he's always kind of been there. I put him on my holy card for my uh, ordination. Um, he's always been kind of spiritually in the background for me. I just like him a whole mm -hmm. bunch. Um, and then... I feel like I'm leaving. We probably are. Out. We probably are. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. But I do want to do some uh, book recommendations. Yeah. I think one of the really good books to get, just like, hey, I want to know everything about the spiritual life and learn a lot about the saints. Um, the fulfillment of all desire, uh, I think, is a really good summary intro slash like it's it's just yeah. good. Um, it leads you through the teachings of the saints and teaches you about the saints. And what we talked about, the illuminative, purgative, and unitive way that Father Harrison yep. mentioned, um, how that ties in with, you know, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and um, Therese of Lisieux, and it's really good. So um, the fulfillment of all desire, I think, is a good one. Do you have any recommendations? So in terms of, like, lives of saints, um, Augustine's Confessions is huge. Um, George Weigel's Witness to Hope is absolutely fascinating and inspiring and well worth the read or audiobook. Like it's, 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 I found it. I, again, that was actually one of those ones I found super, super inspiring. Uh, St. Faustina's journal, uh, mm -hmm. is really, really good. Uh, I have a directee who's reading it right now and, and she keeps texting me 
images from the book of different quotes from her. I'm like, this is good stuff. I haven't read this in a while. She's super so she's intense. like, and it's beautiful. Like it's really good stuff. Um, uh, mother Teresa's come be my light is, is always great. Um, uh, um, diary of a soul, um, St. Therese of this year's autobiography. Right. Um, so that's, that's great. You, I mean, there's just, there are two, there are two Catholics in the world. Those who love that book and those who can't get through it. It's, there is no middle it's ground. True. There's no one who has read the book and said, oh, it was nice. Either you can't finish it or you think it's the best thing ever. Uh, if you want to find out stuff on Saint-Jean Vianney, uh, Abbe Francis Trochu's book, uh, biography of, of Saint-Jean Vianney is quite good. Um, a little of its time. It might be a little difficult in that regard, but it's still quite good. I mean, like, there's just so much. But, you know, my encouragement would be right now, if you're if you're struggling uh, to be inspired to be holy, think of your favorite saint and go out and just find a book on them. And there's probably a good one out there. And I would encourage you, especially support your local, like support your Catholic publishers right now. Right? Like, like Pauline Press, they have tons of books. And this is how the nuns support themselves. So... Buy yeah. books off them, and they'll ship them to you directly. Help nuns and get books. Exactly. So you know, or Amazing. Ignatius Press. I mean, like, there's just there's a ton of them out there, right? So I mean, yeah. like, mm-hmm. but you know, read, there's there's a lot of good good stuff, and and those are that's just like a small. I'm I'm as we're as I'm talking, I'm looking around my library to see if there's other books because I'm sure there are. There's just so much out there. Read a book of a saint. Use it as your spiritual reading. It will strengthen your spiritual life. It'll inspire you to want to pursue holiness. And take the tips we gave you. I think will help you to do it in a mature way. Yeah. Uh, Joan of Arc, who I was thinking ah. of. I love her. She's amazing. She's really cool. Uh, her story is amazing, and she just, as a human being, is amazing. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening. Uh, hey, you can do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast, but you know what? Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says you must love our enemies. You can find me on a Zoom meeting. And you can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Uh, email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. And uh, stay safe out there. Peace. God bless.